Howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode here. My name's Nick. And my name's Brett. Obviously, I would hope your name's Brett, buddy. So, Brett, let me ask you, how do you feel about the Taj Mahal, my friend? The Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal. What the ma- is the Taj Mahal? I'm so glad you could ask. It's uh, it's a mahal made out of Taj. See? From Saul. That's all there is to it, man. It's just a giant mahal. All right. All right. I'm a- well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. <laughs> uh, we've had a great time here today. Uh, thank you, Nick, for showering us all with your wisdom. And uh, good night, everyone. What I'm here for. Yeah, good night. Have a good one. No, the uh, the Taj Mahal is uh, actually, I think, it's, if memory serves correct, it's isn't it just a giant? Uh, it's not a funeral home. That's a that's a poor way of saying it. It's a uh, it's a, a resting place. It's a, it's a beautiful cemetery. That's what it is. A giant cemetery. It's a uh, from what I what I'm it's reading. It's a tomb. I'm reading that it's a mausoleum. So what's the difference between a tomb and a mausoleum? Mausoleum's bigger. Okay. Can it, the current I mean, name of Taj Mahal is of Urdu origin and believed to be derived from Persian Arabic with the words Taj Mahal meaning crown and palace. Taj being the word for crown and Mahal being the word for palace. Okay, so my earlier statement of it being a crown palace is not necessarily wrong. Okay. The uh, we were I was actually sitting down and watching a movie the other night. It's the one that just came out with uh, Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, and Brad Pitt. Right. And so the whole oh, premise okay. of the movie. What was, what was the name of it? Uh, I'm gonna have to Google this because it was like a movie that you could rattle off like five actors, but not the name of the movie. Uh, not off the top of my head. It was like an action adventure movie. Um, geez, Louise, what was it called? And did they go to the Taj Mahal? It was the Lost City. That's what it was. Daniel Radcliffe was the villain. He was really. you know, he. I think he does really well in Harry Potter, but he makes an excellent, terrible villain. Like he's just that awful of a villain, but it's like uh-huh. comedically like bad. But the the point I was trying to get at was is that the uh, towards the end of the movie, um, the the entire time I'm trying to find this like uh, crown of uh, uh, made out of uh, rubies. And so uh, they find out that it's not a crown made out of rubies. It's a crown made out of seashells, right? So it, it's, How do you get confused you know, about that? Because uh, the entire thing, the entire setting of the movie takes place on an island. And this entire uh, like treasure hunt is based off of uh, scriptures that have been either burned, destroyed, or pieced together half-heartedly in a language that isn't commonplace and so it's like uh somehow some way it got lost in translation and uh 
when they get to the big reveal at the uh, at the end of it, it ends up being that uh, there's not a resting place for the king. It's a resting place for the lovers. So like uh, kind of like the Taj Mahal, like it's a mausoleum of sorts. So it's like you would have loved that. It. It's very much like a like a great setting for uh, like D and D. I think, and it was just like you sit there and you just hey, here's this really cool temple and like then there's this tomb and they crack open the tomb and then they find the dead lovers just cuddling together with their you know dead skeletons and then you see the uh seashell crown instead of the uh ruby crown and you're like what the hell okay and so it's basically just a, a indiana jones meets the notebook i guess is the best way to put it it was uh. good up until a point I, I could have done without all the sappy stuff so what I'm trying to get at is that movie had something very similar to the Taj Mahal. And it was very big, but I don't know if it would be counted as a tomb, but more of a mausoleum. If that makes sense. I don't know. Maybe a tomb is just like the actual hole where the body goes, whereas the mausoleum is like the the building that the tomb is in. Okay. Because I'm also thinking, like, a tomb has to be, like, in the ground, right? Is a coffin a tomb? I don't know. Is a, a, coffin is a, a thing that you sarcophagus a tomb? That's what the Egyptians used. Like, it's the, I thought that was just a bougie coffin. No? Well, a coffin gets buried. A sarcophagus doesn't. Okay. Okay, so in in this in this movie, right, the tomb was nothing more than a pedestal with the two lovers in it. It wasn't underground; it was just surrounded, kind of like the Taj Mahal. Okay. So, and I mean, I guess the more ironic part is, is like as I read more about the Taj Mahal, it was commissioned in 1632 by the Mughal. Mughal, Mughal, Emperor Shan Jahan as a memorial for his favorite wife, Mumat Mahal, who died while giving birth to their 14th child. The thing that's messing with me is this was his favorite wife. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, let's see. Let's take a look at Shah Jahan. How many wives would he have had? Marriages, plural. Uh, uh, doesn't I'm just, give us like a taken other wives among who and who I'm sure they have concubines uh, these marriages just, were more out of political consideration they enjoyed only the status of being royal wives royal wives hmm. okay I'm sure I'm sure the king got all the benefits you know I guess it was friends with benefits, just, just you know, back in the day. Well, I mean, in ye olden days, po a lot of politics worked by hostage exchange, and oh, so marriage kind of comes out of that. Yeah, pretty much. Like in Game of Thrones, right? Like we've got my family and your family, and we're beefing, so we'll give you one of ours, and you give us one of yours, and like. If you try anything fucky, we'll kill your hostage, right? Well, now they're married into the family and stuff, so you're trying to, like, keep things happy. 
Interesting. I was just thinking in my head, it's a big fuck you to either his political prisoners, apparently, or his like other concubines or other wives. And he makes this extravagant like uh, temple to his dead wife. And it says here that it took 22 years and involved the efforts of thousands of skilled artisans and workers from various parts of their empire. The main building, including the white marble dome, was completed in 1643, while the surrounding structures and gardens took several more years to finish. So you're looking at at least 1645, 1647, 1650 to be you know safe, just because of the gardens. So 1632, at least eight years, wives. Eight wives, and it took 28 years to finish. Maybe this a few more. Higher. Jesus. Where were they buried? His his favorite wife, Mumtaz Mahal, got this gigantic, beautiful national landmark. What did what did the other ones get? Did they have to share? Uh dude, I don't even think they got anything. Alright, let me I didn't think the research this. Give me a second here. I mean, cause what would you do with all those other wives? <laughs> The uh, the great Google Net says, um, hmm. here we go. Um, Shah Jahan, the Mughal Empire. So he had several what? Shah? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. What did I say? Didn't you say Sean? Uh, same thing. Had several wives that were buried in different locations. Uh, one was in. I'm gonna butcher this. Kadari Begum. She was one of Shah Jahan's wives and the mother of his eldest son, Dara Shakal. Kadara Begum was buried in a tomb complex of Itam Ud Dalu, also known as the Baby Taj, located nearby in the Agra Uttar Pradesh, India, which is where the Taj Mahal is. Um, another gal by the name of Akabari Abi Mahal. Um, it was buried in a Akabara Babi mosque situated near the Raj Ghat in Delhi, India. And there was, this is the only other one that I'm seeing, Fetar of Feta Puri Begum. I don't really understand why these two ladies have the last name Begum and not Mahal. Um, was the mother of his daughter, Jahara Begum. I was buried in the tomb complex of Lay Bagdanal, which is located in the Nizamundan area of Delhi, India. So even though I butchered their names, I do have to wonder why some of them are Mahal and why some of them are Bagam. I don't suppose you know anything about the royalty in uh, the ta- uh, India, do you? Uh, Begum is a royal and aristocratic title, uh, in, like, Turkish stuff. Turkish? That's in, like, it's all the way up in Europe. So, India got taken over by these guys, the Mughals, who 
were kind of Turks, kind of like Mongols from like Central Asia, like nomadic horsemen and stuff. But they took over Persia and thought, hey, Persia and Islam and stuff are real cool. And they took on a lot of that. And then they conquered India. So they brought a lot of this uh, Muslim and Persian influence over in their architecture, culture, and language and stuff when they conquered and ruled India for a while. Interesting. So Google says in South Asia, particularly in Delhi, uh, Afghanistan, Bagal, and a bunch of other names I really don't want to pronounce because I'm already butchering a lot of it. But gum has been adapted for the use as an honorific for Muslim women of high social status, accomplishment, or rank. It's the equivalent in the English lady or English language of using the title dame or lady. Oh. Yeah, it also says it's uh, close like being to the word beg or, or bay, which sometimes you hear about like uh, minor Turkish states being called beyliks or Kind of like a, a duke would have a duchy. Or like uh, <laughs> sometimes in North Africa you had like Osman Bey and all these uh, Turkish guys running around being in charge called Beys. Or Beys. Is that where whatever. the... Alright. Is that where the slang term Bey comes from? Like, is there any yes, relationship actually. That? Really? Right, when uh, uh, the House of Osman first took over uh, large swaths of Southeast and Southwest Europe from the steppes and all that, they took many concubines and wives and things, but they kind of gave the title to their favorite wives and called them begs or begums or bays. And that's uh, where it comes into the modern English, is like, love you, bay. Snapchat me later, bay. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. It's actually really interesting. Kind of creepy on how that worked out, I guess. Took like, you know, a couple thousand years. Is that a thousand? No, about a couple hundred years for that to come up and be like, yo, hey, hey, my Mongol queen, you gorgeous you, Snapchat me later. I find that very, I don't know. I find that mind-blowing, actually. Okay. So, moving on. Um, architecture style. Uh, the Taj Mahal was an exquisite example of a Mughal architecture, which combines the element of Persian, Islamic, and Indian architectural styre. styres. Styles? Styles. The mausoleum is primarily constructed Constructed from white marble, which brought from the quarries nearby by a fleet of elephants. The central dome reaches a height of 240 feet and is flanked by four smaller domes. These guys call it a chahatris. Chahatris? I don't know. Pavilions each corner. The facade is adorned with intricate calligraphy and delicate marble inlays and decorative motifs, including flowers and geometric patterns. My only question is, is like, how do you describe Persian and Islamic Indian architecture style? What the hell does it even look like? Uh, domes and stuff. 
stuff. Yep. Like, uh, it's a good like dome. It's a bit, it, yeah. It's, it's actually a got a few dome. smaller ones next to it. Yeah, those are the uh, Chahatris, or, or uh, flanked by four smaller Chahatris. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds about right. You look up pictures and you just see like, I, I it's just very colorful, like the rugs, the 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 windows, and you see a bunch of arches and the domes themselves. I, I guess they got a kicker for domes, like the Romans do for arches. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, they I mean, use like dome domes are good. They're a good bit of architecture. Yeah, but uh, isn't, isn't the hard circle to do sort of represents perfection in mathematics and all that. So okay. the dome as kind of the perfect perfection of mathematics in the vault of the heavens uh, can be pretty impressive. So then, how would how would they design a dome so perfectly? Because that's like, I mean, you got one giant dome in the middle, and then you got four domes surrounding it, along with four towers and then gardens galore. Like it's the whole hey, I can grow my own plant, but how do they? I don't even know how you begin to even engineer or build something that's a dome. That seems so hard. Uh, yeah, to get it all to actually stand up can be pretty tricky especially when you're doing all this uh, marble and stuff that's awfully heavy what was the other uh, country that used a lot of marble I mean I guess they all used marble really that seems a little silly to say but I just remember was it was it the great pyramids of Giza that used yeah I mean, yeah like they were supposed have... to be white they were supposed to be white, like they were full of marble in the skin, and then on the top it was like this giant gold like piece on top. Yeah, I mean the, uh, the mausoleum of Halicarnassus and all that in Greece and Rome would have been uh, marble and stuff. There was some dude named Mausolus who lived and died and got a fancy building where he was buried. So now any fancy building where you're buried is called a mausoleum. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, but they actually like broke it down and took it apart to use its marble for other stuff. I think every oh, once in a while they, they find it. They look at a old building in Turkey and stuff, because Turkey's just like littered with historical buildings, and say, hey, we think this but came from like uh, the mausoleum. Not a mausoleum, but the mausoleum. Because that kind of stuff happens, you know, where all these buildings fall into disrepair and you grab the shiny bits and just repurpose it. I mean, I guess you would want to maintain it, but maybe it's a little bit of a stretch. I guess it is too much of a stretch. It just seems a little, I don't know, outlandish to take somebody's, like, I guess I, it just doesn't sit well with me when, like, that's your tomb, and then you, you repurposed it for another tomb. It's like, okay. It's like, I didn't have this tomb first, LOL, or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what actually happened to, like, the body of Mausolus or anything. 
like everyone just walked in and took the marble and didn't give a damn about the dead guy in it. Um, sure, he's pretty much like dust at this point. The uh, I I assume that if they're using the word mausoleum in sixteen thirty two. He, he's probably been around a lot longer than 1632, and uh, I think it's a safe bet to just assume that he's just dust. I don't know what the JK rate is on uh, bones. Seems like they would be a lot, but regardless, the uh, I was reading that, that the Taj Mahal is just like the Eiffel Tower, or I guess Paris, is like the city of love, the Taj Mahal is considered a symbol of love and is often referred to as the epitome of love or the symbol epitome. of love. Epitome? The epitome. Does epitome not work, or is that just another pronunciation error on my part? Uh, it's because English is a weird language. Well, I don't know. I just think a city of love versus a mausoleum of love seems to be uh, I, I, I don't know. I would say that... I suppose you could get a bit philosophical there. Is love living or is love dead? Is love ever changing or static? Uh, uh, well, you're not exactly alive, so I would definitely say that you... Uh, I don't know. That's based on the viewer, I would guess. The design was based originally on the Islamic concept of paradise gardens with a mausoleum placed at the center and surrounded by the Sharbah, a quarter-lateral garden divided into four parts by watercourses. So I'm sure the place is like stupid beautiful. And the garden itself is meticulously laid out with symmetrical paths and reflecting pools and a raised marble water tank known as the Lotus Pool. I.e., it's very fancy, Brad. Really? I, I'd say so. I mean, what's Paris got on this thing? Good point. It's, kind of, it's, it's like a fork in the ground. I mean, I don't think the French are going to like when I say that, but it is a fork in the ground versus an intricately engineered tomb for your beloved wife, 30 years in the making. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That sounds like a really good love story. Like, they should make a notebook about that. Like they dramatize, like I remember, what was it back in high school? They dramatized the building of the Statue of Liberty and everything, and then you're like stuck there thinking, "Oh man, this is majestic," and then you're just like, you're sitting here, and we're you know researching and talking about the Taj Mahal, and all this stuff is just like, "Oh, wonderful." So it also states that the interior of the Taj Mahal features an intricate decoration, including floral patterns, calligraphy from the Quran, and semi-precious stones inlaid from the marble. Marble? Marble. The main chamber houses the Sintafaz of Mupas, Mahal, and Shah Jahan, although their actual grades are located at the lower level, closed to the public. So what is it with 
uh, I guess, India calligraphy. Because of the Sanskrit stuff? Uh, it's more of an Islamic thing, again, brought in by the Mughals. Uh, they're in Islam, you're not supposed to uh, make idols and graven images to worship, so uh, in uh, Islamic art, there's less focus on depictions of human beings and human affairs. I mean, there are sometimes, but like, you're really not allowed to draw like God or the Prophet or anything. So instead, they go for writing his name really fancy. Uh, I mean, that is a workaround. Which I'll give him, sounds I'll a bit that. silly, uh, but I mean, even in Christianity and stuff, uh, there's the association going back to like Platonism and stuff, the association of logos or the word being associated with divinity and God as sort of a, a source of reason and all that. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you can't depict anything and it goes against your religion, fancy writing seems to be the way to go. I mean, yeah, obviously, so you a... and I large much about it. tradition of calligraphy there. Is, are, is the American cursive based off of, I guess, their calligraphy? Is that where we try to just kind of bait, like come up with something like that? Is that how we uh, um, try to, I mean, calligraphy in ever, any language is always going to be different because it's obviously different words but in america we have cursive and you taught that in grade school and so on and so forth so i'm curious if there's That's any kind of a good question i don't really know when cursive first started getting used because i mean you see all these medieval manuscripts that like monks in europe and stuff were copying and all these illuminated manuscripts and things and they're trying to be fancy with it you know they're trying to to make the letters flowy and fancy looking and like put in gold leaf and all this stuff but like they're still in print you know like it it's not yeah. cursive for convenience i mean cursive kind of ends up looking a bit like arabic writing because it's supposed to be done quickly and easily with an ink pen uh it's easy Seems a little. I mean, you don't rest. You don't. Your pen never stops moving. Like you don't bring it back up. So I can see it from that. Oh, yeah, point. That, that's the point of cursive is that it's supposed to be good for writing quick and easy without taking your pen up and blah 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 blah. I don't know. I've just never seen. I I, I don't see the beauty of it. I mean, calligraphy seems very nice. But again, I can't read any of it because it's not in English, and I obviously don't read uh, what is it, Sanskrit or uh, what? What's the Arabic? Uh, I mean, is Maybe it all Persian. Arabic? Sure. What? I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like what what are the writings like? What language are the writings in? In the Taj Back Mahal? in sixteen, yeah, sixteen thirty-two. That's like four hundred years ago. Arabic, because it's uh, they're 
religious language of Islam, which these guys ruling India were. I mean, maybe there was some Persian. I I don't know. I'm not an expert. Fair enough. Uh, a lot of lot of Persian influence there. So maybe I I don't know to what extent the Persians and Mughals and stuff would have used Arabic as a liturgical language. Liturgical. I like that. That might be the word for the podcast. Okay. It should not. What does liturgical mean? It means like churchy. Oh. I like it. I think we're going to make it the podcast uh, word of the day. fucking liturgical. Thanks, buddy. I'll take that as a compliment, even though I'm not entirely sure what kind of insult that was meant for. But details. The, uh, the big thing that I've always thought about was is that uh, it's more of a touristy kind of site now. So the Taj Mahal attracts millions of visitors from around the world every year. Um, it's a significant symbol for India, culture, and heritage. In 27, uh, 20, yeah, 2007, it was declared one of the new seven wonders of the world. Due to its popularity, the Taj Mahal has faced challenges related to pollution, environmental degradation and the impact of tourism, which I guess they just kind of don't take care of their uh, historical sites, which is kind of sad if you think about it. And uh, efforts are ongoing to preserve and protect this culture treasure. But for the most part, it sounds like the, uh, uh, it's very grander grandness. It's like actual, like, Thing that keeps you know that makes it so uh, going, love going back to the to the nature of love i mean if you're uh lovely you enough can can too much love be bad you know uh, do, do we just love something so much that we put too much wear and tear on it uh i would say the answer is yes based off of this article that i'm reading it, it it's like a tourists are I, I it doesn't go and elaborate like what the tourists are doing but more of a more from a standstill of oh hey there's just a lot of stuff going on right now and uh people keep coming and they i guess they're just not taking care of their sites kind of like on how in the you know, in the states like you can go to a, a public park or a you know a national park and you can ruin the actual environment just by not throwing your stuff away. So I, I'm assuming something like that, but I'm also curious what, like, what's the effect of uh, pollution on white marble? That entire thing has to be made out of white marble, at least the majority. Well, it's only the outside that's the white marble. I mean, it's expensive and heavy and not the greatest to work with. It's hard to cut and all that. Really, it's just the exterior. The interior is just red brick that they made on site. Really? Okay. So then, I guess my question is: Is what is the longevity of this uh, monument? Because you stand there and you think about it, it's like uh, well, what it should be turning four hundred or something. Long. Yeah, I mean, you take one earthquake; that thing's not earthquake proof. Like, I'm just you know, here uh, not uh, what was it uh. 
couple years back, Japan had the giant tsunami, and then, you know, a lot of buildings got just decimated by that, but I don't really know. I guess what I'm trying to come say is what's this thing's rating on the Richter scale? Or what's this guy's rating on the uh, scale for uh, natural disasters? Well, if it's made it this far, I don't think it should have too much trouble going on further, you know? I mean, uh, there are... I, don't, I mean, how how do you design an, a building to be earthquake-proof? Make it so heavy that the Earth, when it shakes, it can't move it? Well, there you go. I, I figure there's two approaches, right? Like, you do the Japanese pagoda, right? Where it's just a big wooden tower and it kind of sways with it, like a tree bending in the wind instead of breaking. Or if you just have a giant fuck you brick building, <laughs> or stone, or whatever, and if it's sturdy enough and has enough supports and all that, uh, it'll be fine for whatever. Like a gothic cathedral, right? Just big tall walls, big tall ceilings, just throw struts all over it. I don't know, man. Those so, things have been around just as long as the Taj Mahal, and those require e a lot of Exactly, things. because... But they didn't fall over the first time an earthquake hit them, because you just threw gigantic brick struts all over it. And there you go, that's engineering. <laughs> that's engineering. We're just going to over-engineer everything, put more of something that helps it. You want more weight? You want more struts? Taj Mahal, that's your gal. The symbol of eternal love or the symbol of earthquake proof? My heart's so heavy, the earth can't shake it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe without a picture and all that, but it, it is a work of art in itself, being able to have this gigantic, heavy dome uh, that's, that's sitting on this giant barrel, and then how all the weight is distributed out through a series of arches and things, where it, it's still a soaring ceiling on the inside. My inner engineer Dome. does love that. Domes are hard. They're they're tricky to do, but they're awfully satisfying when pulled off right. Uh, I, I, the I don't one think I in pull off Florence in the Florence Cathedral Il Duomo uh, is a bit weird. It's a bit more more pointy and taller, and it's kind of doing a, a weird thing where it's got a bunch of uh, uh, structure on the inside. It's kind of got two layers going on where the, the wood and the brick absorbs a lot of the, the structural stuff, all the fancy red tile and marble and all that on the outside uh, just sits there and look nice. There's a great diagram out there of how all that works, but this is a podcast, so we can't show that. That is correct. We can recommend that they look something up. So did you have a website or i mean there's just a quick google search away yeah just just look up pictures of el duomo how do you spell that because el duomo sounds spanish and my spanish is not good il space d-u-o-m-o -O. i don't know uh, let's see what's another good dome uh oh. the dome of the Hagia sophia is also Sophia? really good. What's that? Isn't it the Hagia Sophia? Uh, it's 
Greek-ish. I don't really know how to pronounce it. I'm like Maybe. 9 out of 10 sure that it's Hagia Sophia only because I remember Assassin's Creed Revelations and it took place in Turkey and it, they had the Hagia Sophia there. And if there's anything my mind remembers, it's the pronunciation of that thing because it was like a mission and everything. I think it was Re Revelations because it took place in the Byzantine Empire. Had the had the uh, great uh, what's that market? The great uh, the great market or the Byzantine market or like this like big the bazaar and the great bazaar maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking the Hagia Sophia was there. That makes sense. Maybe yeah, my mind a, like it's a really cool. good um uh it's a real low squat dome but it's awfully wide the interior is huge it, it's it's wide and tall and open and stuff when you see them in pictures but the dome is just supported by a bunch of little tiny windows and a bunch of arches uh that distribute the weight of the dome itself onto another big circle around that which sits on a bunch of other arches uh i do, I do like arches yeah. you can see just how it all trickles down but it's done so carefully that the whole thing just floats in the air and lets in all this light and stuff. It's very good. I would uh, say it's so, funny. But it also... Uh, right, it, it has these weird pendentive things where, these two, where two arches butt up in a corner and form a nice... Uh, area where it, it does all that, where the nice angle, the nice corner between two arches is able to take a lot of the weight off the dome. Oh, I dig it. I think that's all we got on the Taj Mahal, unless you got something else, buddy. Oh, uh, well, while we're talking about domes, uh, what is the the one in Rome? Um, uh, the, I'm thinking of uh, one in Washington because the you know the capital no, 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 is no, no, no. What, what, the, the Pantheon in Rome. Yeah, the it, dome of the Pantheon in Rome is also neat. It's also a big, uh, wide squat dome. It doesn't let as much. It doesn't let in as much light as the Hagia Sophia. Instead of a bunch of windows along the rim of the dome at the bottom. There's just one big window in the ceiling. And there's a bunch of okay. squares set into the bottom of the dome. Like when you stand up and stand inside it and look up at it, it's like a bunch of squares sprawled out on the inside of the dome. And then one big circular window at the very top of it. So the Romans were doing this with concrete and stuff. Uh, so they were able to, to make this fancy dome out of fancy pieces. There's one big uh, ring of concrete that's at the top of it, and okay. it's it's strong enough to hold all the weight around this oculus, where it lets in the 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 sunlight and all. And the rest, the dome, it's it's strong enough to hold the weight there. But in order to get the rest of the concrete dome light enough, they had to drill all these coffers into it. That's what these squares are. That if you if you just dig into it and take all squares of this material out, 
uh, it'll the rest of it will be light enough to to stand up as the dome. So it really sounds like the like the actual like five domes in the Taj Hall were far harder than than I'm thinking it was probably going to be, and I'm I'm already thinking that it wasn't that easy to begin with. The uh, and what is this monument used for? Like, what was it used for? You, you said it was the what Pantheon, the, like the Pantheon in Rome. Well, the word yeah. Pantheon means like all the gods. It was like the the temple in Rome to uh, all the gods. Okay. Sure. Uh, let's see. Commissioned by Marcus Agrippa during the reign of Augustus. Rebuilt by Hadrian. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah, it's got like, uh, it. the, the triangular bit with the columns and stuff on the front, but the inside, is, it looks a lot like uh, the Lincoln Memorial. Oh. If you imagine that. Like the columns on the front and the dome in the back. That I can't imagine. I've been there before. It's a very nice piece of uh, monument. Very American. Except we don't use calligraphy on it, which I, I don't know if that was a missed opportunity or not. But, you know, there's a lot of quotes for, uh, you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and his Emancipation Proclamation, and a bunch of his other speeches. Well, I don't know. That's a lot about domes, though, Brett. I know what I'm about. <laughs> You're a dumb kind of guy. I'm more of a slanted roof myself. <laughs> Sorry, boss. We we just equal each other out very well. <laughs> so, I I do think that's all we got for this uh this episode, Brett. And I we'll come back out with another episode uh, next weekend. But the uh. Do you have any uh, finishing remarks or uh, anything that you kind of learned from uh, what we talked about today? Uh, India's neat. They're good. The, yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. So this is uh, Nick signing out and Brett. Uh, signing out. All right, y'all have a good one. Hey.